I'll greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. But please turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and we'll be looking at verse 34. Romans chapter 8 and our focus will be on verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Amen. It has been well said that if you get Jesus wrong, then you get everything wrong in Christianity. Brothers and sisters, the identity of Jesus Christ and the accomplishments of Jesus Christ are the centerpiece of Christianity. True Christianity begins, proceeds, and is anchored on a clear understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. You see, brothers and sisters, a robust and a tenacious grasp of the person of Jesus Christ leads to an unshakable and steady faith. But a flimsy view of Jesus Christ leads to a poor and anemic and a false Christianity. See, we have been looking at different aspects of Jesus Christ. And for the past two weeks, we looked at John chapter 3 verse 11 all the way to the end of chapter 3. And we saw the baptism of Jesus Christ. We saw the significance of the baptism of Jesus Christ and the affirmation of the Father and the Holy Spirit upon the proclamations that Jesus Christ was making in his baptism. And then we looked at Matthew chapter 4, and we, we saw Jesus, our triumphant Savior. We saw when Jesus was tempted and was attacked by Satan in the wilderness, how he triumphed over Satan in that wilderness. And this morning, I want to talk about Jesus, our all-sufficient Savior. Jesus, our all-sufficient Savior. Brothers and sisters, I want us to see four reasons that should anchor Christians during times of doubt, fear, and attacks on their faith. Let us look at our text again. Romans 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. This verse begins with a challenge, begins with a charge, it begins with a question that demands a response. Who is to condemn? You see, friends, the purpose of Romans chapter 8 is to drive home this very point. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 brings this question again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And as you turn your eyes all the way below, Romans chapter 8 verse 33 brings this question again. If God is for us, who can be against us? And when you look at verse 33 of the same chapter, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And for a passage this morning, who is to condemn? And verse verse 35 of Romans chapter 8, it says, who shall separate us from the love of God? 
of Christ. You see, who is to condemn? Who can bring condemnation to those who have been saved by Jesus Christ himself? See, in other words, is who can point a finger and find fault with those who have been saved by Jesus Christ? Who can take away the believer's salvation? Is there anyone who can bring an accusation so strong that God would consider to not save you anymore? Our text is saying, bring it on. Bring all the accusations, bring all the fears, all the doubts, all the charges, and put them under the test of these four pillars of our assurance. You see, brothers and sisters, assurance of salvation is not for some special sort of Christian. But this is God's desire for every Christian to be assured of their salvation. Now where do we get this boldness to say bring it on? Where do we get this boldness to say bring it on? Our first reason for this confidence is that Christ Jesus is the one who died. Christ Jesus is the one who died. Brethren, I want you to see that sin is so terrible. Sin is so atrocious to God that its punishment is death. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned. We have have all not lived according to the standards of God. We have all failed to meet the criteria of holiness. In Romans chapter 1 verse 18, it tells us that our sin deserves the wrath of God. It tells us that because of our sin, we suppressed the truth of God. In Romans 1.21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It tells us that claiming to be wise, we became fools. We exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals. In other words, we, 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 we left the creator and we worshipped the created things. You see, this is describing you and I in sin. This is the condition of man in sin. Claiming to be wise, we became fools. Made to worship God, we worshipped created things. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it gives us this judgment. The wages of sin is death. One may ask, isn't this too harsh? Why couldn't God look the other way? Why can't God say, well, let's forget about it. Let's sweep it under the carpet. You see, the righteousness of God demands punishment for sin. The punishment for sinners... The wages of sin is death, and God cannot just leave sin unpunished. He must punish sin. You see, we all stand before God, liable for our transgression. And the question is, what is our hope then? What is our hope? Our passage tells us, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. You see, Christ Jesus is the one who died. I want you to underscore these two words, Christ Jesus. See, Christ Jesus is the believer's representative. And if you turn to Colossians chapter 1, you'll see how Paul goes into length to explain who Christ Jesus is. 
In Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul tells us that Christ Jesus is the believer's representative. In verse 4, it tells us that he is the object of the believer's faith. He tells us that he is the king of the redeemed. He is God's beloved son. He is the forgiver of sin. He tells us that Jesus Christ is God made manifest. In Colossians 1, 15, he tells us that Jesus Christ is supreme over all creation. He's the creator of all things. He's the goal of all creation. He is the uncreated creator. It tells us that he is the leader of the church. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the triumphant king, the conqueror of death. He's the preeminent one. He's the very God of very God. Colossians 1, 19. It tells us that Jesus Christ is the supreme reconciler. He's the one who died for sinners. He's the provider of peace and he's the sufficient savior. And this is the savior that God put forward to execute our salvation. Christ Jesus is the one who died. And therefore, our confidence for salvation must rest in the identity of our Savior. God did not just send an angel. God did not just send someone else, but he sent Christ Jesus, very God of very God. And the question is, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And so our assurance of salvation rests upon the identity of our Savior. Friends, when I stood on the, on the death row, ready to be put to death, God intervened. Someone else took my punishment. When the record of my sins were read and I was charged guilty, God stepped in and provided his son. So when our passage tells us that Christ died, we must be sure that it's not just the identity of, of Jesus Christ that saved us, but it's what Christ has done that saved us. Christ Jesus is the one who died. So when our passage tells us who is to condemn, Christ Jesus is the one who died. It means that Jesus died to take away our curse. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. See, when this passage tells us that Christ Jesus is the one who died, it tells us that Jesus Christ died to absorb the wrath of God. Romans 3:25 God put Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood. That term propitiation means to absorb wrath. When it tells us that Christ Jesus is the one who died, it tells us that Christ died as our substitute. Romans 8:32 He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us. Christ died as our substitute. You see, this confidence that Christ Jesus died tells us that Jesus died for the undeserving. 1 Peter chapter 3, 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. This also tells us that Jesus died willingly. 1 John chapter 3, 16, By this we know love that he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. And this is our first confidence. Whenever we lack assurance, whenever our sin assails us, whenever we are challenged that God cannot love us, whenever we are tempted to think that God would change his mind about saving us, we go back to this truth and we are reminded that it is Christ Jesus who died for us. 
He died willingly. He died for the undeserving. And he died for all our sins. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he died this once for all when he offered up himself. You see, when the Bible tells us that Christ Jesus is the one who died, it's telling us that Jesus Christ died for all our sins. Jesus died to demonstrate God's love for us. Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. Jesus died to show his own love for us. Not just the Father's love for us, but his own love for us. Ephesians 5 verse 2. Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And this is our confidence, brothers and sisters. Christ Jesus died for us. When the Bible tells us that Christ Jesus died for us, It tells us that Jesus died to ransom people from every tribe and language and people and nation. You see, Revelation 5 verse 9, it says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so Christ died for you. Christ died for me. There is no one who is beyond the reach of the love of Christ. There is no one who is beyond the reach of God's love. There is no one who is beyond the salvation of God. And this is our confidence. Christ Jesus died. When the Bible tells us that Christ Jesus died, it tells us that Jesus died to give us confident access to God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. This is what it means that Christ Jesus died. Brothers and sisters, do you get this confidence? Christ Jesus died for us. You see, when it tells us that Christ Jesus died for us, it tells us that Jesus died to take away any condemnation that could be brought against us. Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Satan's ultimate weapon against us is our own sin. But the death of Jesus Christ takes that away. The death of Jesus Christ defends Satan from his power. It removes his power. It makes him obsolete. He cannot make a case against us. He cannot make a case for the death penalty because the judge has pronounced us not guilty because Christ Jesus died for us. And so, brothers and sisters, put your confidence in what Jesus has done for us. Never depend on your Christian efforts. Never depend on your feelings. Never depend on your past or present accomplishments. Put your confidence in the accomplishments of Jesus Christ because Christ Jesus died for you. And our second reason for our confidence is that Christ was raised. Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus 
is the one who died more than that who was raised. The Apostle Paul is piling up reasons for your confidence. The second confidence builds upon the first. And so this means that confidence one only works if confidence two works. You see, the promises that Christ made through his death are only valid if he is resurrected. And this is why the resurrection is so key in Christianity. Apart from the resurrection, there is no Christianity. There's no salvation. There's no forgiveness. There is, there is no apostolic preaching. There's no answer to sin. There is no hope for those who have died as believers. And the Apostle Paul brings about this point. He says, who is to condemn Christ? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, more than that, who was raised? In what ways does the resurrection of Christ give us assurance of salvation? First, the resurrection is proof that the sacrifice of Christ has been approved and accepted by God. The resurrection is proof that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in his death has been approved and accepted by God. Romans 4, 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. You see, a dead Christ cannot open the kingdom to anyone. A dead Christ helps no one. A dead Savior cannot save anyone. But Jesus Christ was raised for a justification. The meaning here is that justification is not complete without the resurrection. God the Father raised Jesus Christ from the dead because he was satisfied with his sacrifice. Christ's resurrection is the vindication of Jesus The resurrection of Jesus is the stamp of God's approval towards Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is God's amen to his prayer. It is God's yes to his request. It is God's acceptance to his work. It's God's approval to his sacrifice. It's God's proclamation of it is finished. Tetelestai, my son, you have completed the work that I've sent you to do. The resurrection of Christ is evidence that his work on our behalf has been completed. That's why this is our confidence. We say Christ Jesus has been raised. Therefore, what Christ died for, God has accepted. This is my confidence. That all the sins that Jesus Christ died for, God the Father has accepted. And this is why I can be confident in my salvation. This is why I won't depend on my own performance. This is why I will not put the assurance of my salvation upon my feelings. Our assurance of salvation is upon the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What else does the resurrection of Jesus Christ do? It gives us confidence that we are empowered to conquer sin. 2 Corinthians 5.15 Jesus died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, Jesus died and was raised so we would live for him. The Bible promises that the Holy Spirit will empower us in the same way that the Holy Spirit and God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. That same power will empower us to conquer sin. Romans 8 verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you get that argument? Because Jesus Christ has been raised, we have confidence that the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will also give us strength to conquer sin. Here's another reason why we find our confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ also means that death has been conquered and we too, who trust in him, will be raised. You see, brethren, death is our enemy. That great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, puts it this way. Death has no pity for the young and no mercy for the old. Death pays no regard to the good or to the beautiful. He is your enemy indeed. Death is also a subtle foe. It's lacking everywhere, even in the most harmless things. Who can tell where death has not prepared his ambushes? He meets us both at home and abroad. At the table, he assails men in their food. And at the fountain, he poisons their drink. He waits for us in the streets and he seizes us in our beds. He rides on the storm at sea and he walks with us when we are on solid ground. Where can we flee to escape from you, O death? For from the summit of the Alps of men have fallen to their grave. And in the deep places, in the mines, the miner goes down. Where to find the precious ore? There you have sacrificed many thousands and precious lives. But because of the resurrection of Christ, we are not depressed by this. We know that we too will be raised with him to new life. And so death is not the end of our life, but death transitions us to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, Christ has been raised for us. Death for God's children is not his punishment upon them, but the entrance to salvation and glory. Hebrews 9.27, Christ has been raised. We too will be raised. We will be raised with bodies that are sinless and incapable of sin. We will be raised to immortality. Christ has been raised. We shall be forever with the Lord. Life in its fullest sense. Life with emphasis. Eternal life, nearness to God. A sense of his love in all its fullness. Likeness to Christ. Fullness of communion with him. Filled with goodness and excess of joy and perfection of holiness. No stain, no thought of sin. We have confidence in that Christ died for us and Christ was raised. Next, our text gives us our third confidence. Let's look at Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Brothers and sisters, the first two reasons for our confidence show us the work of Christ on earth. And these next two reasons show us the work of Christ in heaven. The focus is heaven. Our text tells us that Christ is at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered 
for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, Christ is at the right hand of God. And this is our confidence because it means that his work is complete. This points us to the completeness of Christ's work. There is no more work required. There are no loose ends in his work. You see, Jesus Christ does not go 50-50 with us. He does not even go 98-2 with us. He has completed his work in full. He has paid all the requirements for peace. That's why we can, we can speak boldly the words of Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God and access to God. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and this shows the completeness of, the, of his work. There are no minor changes or tweaks that he still needs to do. The work is complete. He's in the place of honor and glory. He's welcomed back by his Father. He's on the throne. He has completed his work in full. And because of this, brothers and sisters, we can say, no condemnation. Who can bring a charge upon God's elect? It is Christ who died. It is Christ who was raised. And it is Christ who's at the right hand of the Father. And let's look at our fourth reason for our confidence. Christ is interceding for us. Christ is interceding for us. See, to intercede is to pray on behalf of someone. Perhaps someone may ask, since Christ is in glory, surrounded by majesty, by splendor, by holiness, what does he think of us when he sees us failing in sin? Is it possible that he may change his mind about saving us? Is he disappointed in us? Is he ashamed of us? Will he run out of patience with us? This passage does not leave us to speculate or wonder. It tells us what Christ is doing in heaven for us. Christ is interceding for us. He is praying for us. You see, he is praying for believers to grow in assurance an experiential confidence in his completed work. Christ is praying that we would grow in trusting his work. He's praying that our daily lives would depend upon his finished work. He's praying that we would not lose sight of his accomplishments. He's praying that we would find our confidence in him. First John chapter 2, it says, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You see, we don't have one who is condemning us with the Father. We have one who is an advocate, one who is for us with the Father. We can come to him with our failures. We can bring our weaknesses to him right now. We can approach him with our struggles and sin because his posture towards us is that of that one who, who is interceding for us, one who desires that we would grow in godliness. You see, Jesus Christ in heaven right now is for us. He represents us. He's not tired of us. He's not frustrated by us. He's not he, he, he is not tired of us. He prays for us. He longs to see us growing in him. A hymn puts it, it says, My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me to depart. 
See, it is Jesus Christ who protects us, who rescues us. It is Jesus Christ who quickens us, who tends us, who restores us, who strengthens us, and who keeps us. If you have not put your faith in Christ, now is the time. Trust in Jesus for your salvation. He is an all-sufficient Savior. Do you think that what you've done is too much for God? Do you doubt God's care for you? Do you think that you don't deserve Christ's sacrifice? No one deserves it. Come to him. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you, child of God, are you tempted to depend on your performance? Are you trusting in your feelings? Are you doubting if Christ will forgive even you? Are you struggling with assurance? Here is your fourfold confidence. Preach it to yourself every day. Christ Jesus died for you. Christ Jesus was raised for you. Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God for you. And Christ is interceding for you. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that we will depend upon your finished work. You have died for us. You have been raised for us. You are at the right hand of the Father for us and you are interceding for us. We pray, Lord, that you would save us from the, the temptation of depending upon our own performance, our, our own efforts, our feelings, uh, the, uh, the perception of others. But may we depend upon you only and only you for our own salvation and assurance. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.